chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who was now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Morning again, everyone. Keep your Bibles open at that passage. That's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, but it is that time of, of year again. I don't know if you have any people finishing school in the church um, doing their SACE exams. Have I got that right? <laughs> HSC, where I come from. Uh, I teach at a, at a kind of a Bible college which is a bit like university and we've just finished classes and exams are coming up in the next week and uh, that's a time of high stress and anxiety for people and the questions go through people's head when they're doing you know these uh, high pressure exams will I be good enough Uh, will I uh, do enough to gain the approval of the examiners will I get through will I pass will I be acceptable Of course, those kind of questions aren't just questions we face when we do exams. They're questions that we face uh, many times in life, don't we? Um, And people uh, try and seek the approval of others. Uh, Sometimes people do really remarkable and bizarre things in order to gain other people's approval. Uh, I know people who have made... Uh, career choices purely because they, they did a job that they didn't really like and they didn't want to do, but they thought it would make their parents happy. I don't know if you know people who've done that. I know people, actually I probably was one of them myself as a teenager, who did really stupid things because I thought it would make my friends happy. It's things that I knew would, were dumb, but, you know, well, I'd be in the in crowd. I was looking for approval. Um, Sometimes people who otherwise have have high moral standards do um, dodgy things at work because they think that that's what their boss wants them to do. They're they're looking for approval from someone else. Uh, People do all kinds of things to gain approval of other people. But I wonder how often uh, you spend thinking about gaining God's approval Uh, whether you have God's approval, whether you are acceptable to God, on what basis you would be acceptable to God. See, they're huge questions, actually, uh, about whether we're acceptable to God, questions with eternal consequences. But how much time and effort do people spend thinking about 
whether they are acceptable. Well, today, that's what we're going to be thinking about. What makes us acceptable to God? How can we be sure that we're okay with God? And it was that question of being acceptable to God, having God's approval, that was one of the things, I'm very glad we watched that that video, I I think I need to show that to my uh, church history classes, (laughs) we can do... Um, you know, more college by um, Lego video. But uh, that was one of the burning questions 500 years ago. For those who weren't here with us yesterday, last Tuesday marked 500 years since Martin Luther nailed those um, complaints to the church door that really began the Reformation. And so that's why we're celebrating uh, today, thinking about what were the issues at stake uh, to make him do that. And uh, how are they important? Because in one sense, as we saw in the video, Martin Luther's world was very different from ours. He didn't have an iPhone or an iPad or an i-anything. Um, he lived in a world before Steve Jobs. Can you believe that such a world existed? <laughs> All right? Um, no Apple products. But in many ways, his world was very, very similar to ours. Um, he had family. He had uh, responsibilities. He had expectations placed on him. And uh, he lived uh, in order to, you know, uh, relate to people and to gain people's approval. So as the video showed, um, his father, uh, who was a, a small business owner, Hans Luther, uh, he wanted him to go and study law. And uh, he was Martin Luther, uh, being diligent son that he was, went off and uh, worked hard studying law uh, to, to make his father happy. And so he was getting this formal education, a rare thing that uh, was in his day. Uh, and so like many aspirational parents, Martin Luther's father placed a lot of expectations on him. And Martin Luther was trying to live out those expectations. Uh, but as we again saw in the video, he, he came into this uh, storm and he realised in this lightning storm that there was a God who controlled the world in powerful ways and control and held his life uh, in his hands. And it was at that time when he uh, really made that vow to go into a monastery was a turning point in his life because he realised actually that having approval before God was actually more important than the approval that he'd have from his father by being a lawyer. Uh, And that was a a massive change, a a point of crisis in his life. Often it's a point of crisis where people think about the bigger issues, isn't it? Uh, The the death of a loved one, the loss of a job, family breakdown. People think, you know, where's God in this? How how am I relating to God? Uh, Well, in in one respect, similar for Martin Luther. Uh, He was caught in this lightning storm. How would he face God when he died? How would he be good enough for God? How could he have God's approval? Those were the kinds of questions that flashed around in his mind. Uh, but as, as he thought about those, they, he, he stayed true. So many people, when they're caught in that moment and they, have, they think about the bigger things of life, uh, once the moment of crisis is past, they go back to their ordinary uh, day jobs. Well, Martin Luther, he, this struck him to the core. And uh, he, even though... You know, he'd been setting about, uh, uh, you know, to achieve his father's approval. 
he realised that having God's approval was much more significant, much, much more significant for his life. And to the great disappointment of his father, he kept his vow and he went into the monastery. And so I just, I think it's worth thinking about whose approval do we seek most in life? Um, is it our boss? Is it our spouse, our parents, our friends? Uh, they're all significant relationships, very important relationships. But none of them compare to the relationship that you might have with the one who holds your life in his hands, your eternal life in his hands. God's approval is of far greater consequence than any other approval that we might seek in life. That's the reality of the world. And we need to, we need to realize that. Are we okay with God? So, uh, way back 500 years ago, Luther realized this and he, uh, became a monk, okay, something probably not on our horizons in terms of uh, making ourselves uh, have God's approval. He wanted to do all that he could to be acceptable to God. And uh, he tried and tried and tried. The church said, you have to work hard to gain God's favour. And he went into a monastery uh, and he wrote this about his time in the monastery. Uh, in the monastery, I did not think about women, money or possessions Instead, my heart trembled and fidgeted about whether God would bestow his love upon me. For I had strayed from the faith. I could not but imagine that I had angered God by my sin and I had to appease him by doing good works. And then he said, if only I could believe that I was right with God, I would stand on my head for joy. I don't know how you'd celebrate uh, gaining God's favour, but uh, for Martin Luther... A headstand was his... <laughs> uh, see, Martin Luther, he knew that his sin had put him out of relationship with God. He had God's disapproval because he'd lived his life not in, uh, serving God as he should have. Uh, and that's the truth that all of us need to realise. Um, but Martin Luther, he said about trying to make amends by being extra good, extra good. Our monk's life, it was challenging. Uh, it was very demanding. Um, getting to church here on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, you know, sometimes it can be hard. Once a week at 10 o'clock. Well, they went to church six times every day. And their first service was at 2 a.m. Okay? <laughs> All right? Imagine that. That's what they were doing. Now, that kind of discipline, that's pretty strict, but it wasn't enough for Martin Luther. He wanted to take it to the next step. He wanted to supercharge uh, to make sure that he was really going to be okay with God. And so uh, he wrote about his time as a monk, that he went over and above even the disciplines of a monk. He says, I tortured myself with prayers, fastings, vigils and freezing. The frost alone should have killed me. I almost fasted myself to death for again and again. I went three days without taking a drop of water or a morsel of food. And then in a, in a very kind of understated summary, he says, I was very serious about it. <laughs> well, he certainly was. Um the thing was that the more he tried, the more uncertain he was. Was he going to be okay? Is this enough? Am I, have I got God's approval? Kept doing all this stuff, but was it enough? Uh, and so what Martin Luther came to realize, as the video showed in his study of the Bible, was that actually God teaches that as we have broken our relationship with God, uh, there's nothing that we can do 
uh, to win back his favour. And our, our passage from Ephesians uh, is uh, really clear in teaching us this. Those first three verses uh, that we see there, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways this, of this world and the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Uh, all of us are live, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of God's wrath. The Bible taught Martin Luther and teaches us that actually all of us have stood in rebellion against our good and loving creator God. We've done our own things. Uh, We've sought to rule our own lives rather than live under his rule. And as such, we're, we're dead in our transgressions and sins. We're cut off. We cut ourselves off and there's no way of going back. We can't help ourselves is what these verses say. Uh, It's not as though um, we're sick. You see, the church in Martin Luther's day said, yes, there is this thing called sin and it's like a sickness and you need to kind of take the medicine that the church will give you to try and make yourself more healthy, healthy enough to be right with God. But the Bible says it's not that you're sick. It's not that you're kind of got a bit of a cough and a cold and you know after a, a, a few Vicks vapor drops you'll be okay no you're dead in your trespasses and sins we read in those verses it's not a it's not a swoon it's not a coma death rigor mortis has set in we, we cannot help ourselves hopeless helpless lifeless because of our sin in terms of this relationship with God We can't resurrect ourselves and bring ourselves because we've been the ones who have broken it off and caused the offence. It doesn't take a genius to know that a dead person can't help themselves. Uh, We deserve nothing less in these verses than uh, the wrath of God because of our rebellion. Imagine somebody in the the army or the defence forces who turns against the side that he's supposed to be fighting for. A treasonous action. That's the way we've behaved against God. And uh, it's despicable. Uh, and so we're in this state and we, we must acknowledge this, that we need grace. Our situation is out of control. There's nothing that we can add to bring us back. Our only hope is the free mercy of God. Uh, grace alone. And you know, this truth... The heart of Christianity is uh, deeply humbling. The Christian life begins by humbling oneself, realizing that we can't add anything to our salvation. Um, if the if the heart of sin, if you think back to the way sin is described at the beginning of the Bible, people sought they they took the fruit because they wanted to be like God themselves. It's just at the heart, a pride, there's a pridefulness. I won't have my loving ruler as my king. I'll do my own thing. Well, the the heart at, at the beginning of Christianity is a humbling of ourselves, knowing that we can't do it ourselves. Now, of course, the wonderful news is that the gospel doesn't just show us we're incapable of helping ourselves. It shows us the powerful and loving nature of God who freely gives in Christ Jesus. 
Uh, verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's only because of God's great love that we're made alive together. He gives us a new life, a new hope. It's by grace that we're saved. This passage says grace alone. There's no place for our own merit, our own achievement. Uh, There's no opportunity for pride in this salvation. Uh, It is given to us freely by God. Verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. Uh, this is the free gift that we get because we, if we believe and trust in Jesus. It's the, it's the opposite of what we deserve. I mean, Romans chapter 6, uh, Paul writes that the wages of sin... Is death. Wages, at the end of the day, you work hard, you get your wages. Well, what do humans who rebel against God deserve? They deserve death. That's what we earn. But that verse goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's given to us. There's nothing we can contribute. And no one can boast about this. Uh, The pride uh, that can arise in a a merit-based theology, the thing that Martin Luther was trying to do, Uh, is done away with when you realise it's by grace alone. Uh, What we deserve is hell, but because of God's great love, we can receive heaven if we believe and trust with him. Someone once said that the door to hell said, deserved. The door to heaven said, free gift. That's the difference. Um, And so, uh, the way that Martin Luther, way back then, understood... uh, receiving grace was that he participated in it um this is when he was a monk and it's a little bit like without being flippant um, the way that you can get a prize on the back of a cereal packet okay there's two ways i've noticed sometimes i'm reading the cereal box one says there's a free prize right and that involves collecting 25 tokens um, you know, writing a, a short essay on how good this cereal is and then sending it off with $40 or something and returned envelopes, okay? And then you'll get your little plastic toy, okay? That's one way to get the free gift. The other one is that it's actually in the packet. There it is. It's right there for you, okay? That's the difference between uh, uh, helping along achievement-based theology. Yes, there, there's, a, there's a gift, of eternal life, but you do your bit and you'll get it. And what the Bible teaches, grace alone. You see, this this discovery, when Luther came to it, it revolutionized his understanding of his standing before God. Uh, He came to the conviction that the crisis of human life is not something overcome by striving to achieve approval before God, but the certainty of God's acceptance is is in spite of what we do. Well, we deserve God's wrath. But God, because of his great love for us, as a free gift, gave Jesus Christ so that all who believe and trust in him might receive all the blessings of heaven. Uh, he re- he, he, Martin Luther realized that salvation wasn't the goal of life. It was the foundation. It's where life can begin to be lived out from. 
Uh, God's approval was not based on what we do. It's based on what God has done in Jesus. Jesus' life-giving death is the reason that we can stand before God. And that's the gift that God gives to us. Uh, So we have in Martin Luther a man who spent a, a decade, more than a decade, in wholehearted effort trying to win God's approval realizing that there was nothing he could do to win God's approval. But because of God's kindness, that approval could be his in Jesus Christ, if he believed and trusted in Jesus. And uh, as I, I mentioned yesterday, what ha- that transformed Luther's mind. It freed him from what he called the monster of uncertainty about whether he was going to be all right with God. He could be absolutely sure he had God's approval because of what Jesus had done. Before he tried and he tried and he tried, but he was never sure. But now, because he trusted in Jesus, could be absolutely sure. This approval by God was a gift simply to be received. Faith, Luther discovered, was a trust and confidence in God's promises. Being acceptable, despite his unacceptableness, if you like. And that, that was a massive transformation in the way that he saw things. Now, the challenge for us is that uh, there may be some among us who uh, don't know about whether they are approved before God. Uh, they haven't understood how they, they might stand in the presence of God and have God's acceptance. Perhaps there are some here who are just hoping it'll be all right at the end. Um, they've, they've had a pretty good crack at life and they, they think, well, hopefully God will accept me on that. But they're not quite sure. Um, well, I want to say to you, you can be absolutely sure. You can be absolutely sure. And it's not going to be based on whether you've, you've had a crack at living a good life. Because that's not the grounds on what God's approval is based on. But you can be absolutely sure if you believe and trust in Jesus. Because what he has done for you is a free gift that means that you will be right on the last day. Right today and right on the last day. It's an objective reality of what Christ has done for you. And, and this, is, this is magnificent. It means that when things go wrong in life, uh, we know that God is for us, that we have his acceptance, that we have his approval. It's not based on what we've done. Often we can fall back, even those who, who know this in their head can fall back into the trap of thinking, why why has this bad thing happened? Why uh, have, have I lost my job? Why ha- have we lost th- this baby? Why has this relationship broken down? Whatever it is. What, what, I've done enough for you, God. Why why has this bad thing happened? I've been to church every week this year. I, I've read my Bible every day in the last month. We can fall back on this idea that God's approval of us is based on what we've done. But it's not. It's based on his grace. Why does God love me? Well, you can know that God loves you because Jesus died for you. And God approves of you because of Jesus' death, if you believe and trust in him. Now, understanding that, I said that the the entry of, of the Christian life is to humble yourself and to know that there's nothing that you can do. Well, the outworking of this reality is a heart full of gratitude. Okay, knowing that there was nothing that you could do to contribute to your salvation, 
apart from the sin which you contributed the need to be saved from, uh, means that you wholeheartedly uh, are so grateful to God. Once we were dead, now we're alive, that passage says in Ephesians. Once we were lost, now we've been found. Once we were far away, but God has brought us near in Jesus Christ. And what, what do we feel about this? We're thankful to God for this free gift. Nothing that we could have done. Uh, gratitude will transform our lives. Uh, unmerited grace will be the engine that powers holy living. We kind of mentioned this yesterday about uh, how people kind of live the life that God wants them to live. Uh, if we don't understand that it is by grace alone, uh, we will try to live the way that God wants us to live potentially in order to achieve his righteousness. It's not the, what, what the Bible teaches, but we'll do so with a great burden on our back, living in fear of whether we'll get there in the end. And uh, I was talking to someone at morning tea yesterday, gave the example of um, if I go home from this weekend and I give my wife a bunch of flowers, and she said, a big smile on her face, why have you done this? Why have you given me this bunch of flowers? Okay, um, it's a rarity. It should happen more often than it does. Anyway, and I say to her, it is my duty that I need to perform this task every now and again by giving you a bunch of flowers. I know that that's... It absolutely undercuts what, what, we're, what I'm doing in that act, right? And so it is if we're trying to live God's life out of duty, actually we undermine the very acts that we're doing. But understanding that it's all of grace means that we can live out of love to God. Our lives will be transformed because we love God because of his kindness to us. Not because we're scared of God, but because it's a free gift. And so we go on in, in obedience. I turn up and I say, why, why have you given me these flowers? Because I love you. I want to show my love to you uh, because you're so special to me. And so it is for us in the Christian life. This idea of grace alone will transform. It will transform the way we understand our approval, our standing before God and the way that we live for him. So let's pray that God will help us to really cherish this doctrine of grace alone. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that although there was nothing that we could do to contribute to our salvation, you have done it all in Christ Jesus. Father, we pray that uh, if there are some amongst us who uh, have not received and accepted this gift, that they will do so today, uh, that they will turn to you uh, in dependence and faith and in with joy receiving the gift that you've given. And for those of us who have received this gift, Father, we pray that you will fill our hearts with the gratitude and love that should result from such an unmerited blessing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.